This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From Hetzel Studios in Dublin, welcome to Mother Folklore, a podcast of words, Irish, Irish words, and words from Ireland. I'm Dara Hushay. And I'm surprised by the fact that I had to take a full part in the interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm Pather Yeah, I wasn't sure if I should swipe in either. I'm Geraldine McAvoy. <laughs> <laughs> See, I couldn't point at you, Geraldine, so that's why we were... Well, we did. He, you know, he pointed at Helsinki. He just pointed in the general direction of Helsinki, and lo and behold, there you were. Geraldine, what's better, Turku or Helsinki? Um, well, I'm in neither of those places now, but thanks anyway. <laughs> Um, I would say probably, I'm going to have to say Turku. I prefer Turku to Helsinki. Helsinki's nice. There's more amenities there. But like Turku is like Cork. Um, it's like the Finnish I Cork. knew it. I knew it. <laughs> so I love it. Every country has a Cork. Yeah, and it's Turku. <laughs> and people who've never lived there don't love it. They're like, oh, it's shit. And I'm like, that's because you've not lived there. But. The Paris of the North. <laughs> <laughs> oh, famously so, yes, yes. Uh, the Paris of Europe. So, um, uh, we, um, Garajin and Pada, we have a very special guest in the studio today. Yay! Uh, we, we have, we've talked a little bit about publishing in, our, in Ireland recently and publishing the Irish language, but we haven't had a writer in some time, and we are delirious and excited to welcome Saif Devlin. Hi, Gaktina. Welcome in, Sai. It's great to have you. <laughs> Thanks, Lynn. Thank you. So excited to be here. Yeah. So, I wanted to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Okay, so um, I'm from Bray. Uh, wasn't Toka la Gaelga, so have all my Gaelga from Nínra right up to Gael School and beyond into university. Um, started writing always and wrote and wrote and wrote all through. Had a blog, this, that and the other. And eventually had a creative writing class um, where I was happily writing away in English. The teachers asked me, oh, have you never written as Gaelga? And I said, do you know what? No, I haven't. That's my second language. I wouldn't really be able for that. Uh, creatively anyway, like I couldn't imagine myself doing it. But it kind of that lodged in my brain. And then I started trying it and then... Now I have books. Yeah, <laughs> books. Oscar for the harshest audience of all. You are a children's author. Yes. So so far, I've had two um, picture books published. I don't do the drawings uh, much as I'd love to be able to, but I, but that means I get to work with amazing illustrators. And you're right; mm. children will tell you straight out whether they like it or whether they don't like it, or whether they think that page is ridiculous, or you know, if down to the minutest detail, I don't like their name. You know, they'll tell mm. you straight out. So, 
yeah, they're a tough audience. But I love that. I love that honesty and that straight talking. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Would you tell us what your books are called? Okay, so my yeah. first book is called Be Exprelum. Uh, come play with me and it's a story about a little girl called Luna and Luna really wants to play uh, with her mom and uh, I guess it's kind of a true story because it's all about the guilt tripping mm. <laughs> as a parent when you've, you're really really busy and you, you'd love to be playing with your kid but really realistically you don't have time and you'd kind of fob them off I'll be there in two minutes just a minute one more minute <laughs> yeah. and eventually uh, so Luna's kind of left her own device for a while and she has, tries to come up with a few inventions to get her mom to play with her oh <laughs> <laughs> then we can't spoil the ending, right? We, yeah, no, we, I won't spoil the ending. It's available in all good bookstores. <laughs> it is. That's something that it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently because I know there was um, a, a, a friend of mine was mentioning that when he's, he'd been talking to his father that his, the reason his father stopped smoking was any time he had drawn a picture of his daddy, the daddy always had a cigarette in his hand. Oh, oh. God, wow. And oh. I've been thinking about this recently because uh, La Serena, when she's running around the house, she's all, like, she's very interested in our phones. And whenever she gets the phone, she's walking around holding the phone to her going, ba 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 da 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 Because mm. uh, I, 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 and... I possibly think yes to that. The children always do what they say, but they'll do what you do. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Friend of mine, friend of mine was saying just the other day, she realised her one and a half year old um, woke up and got up and went over and grabbed Mammy's phone and brought it over to Mammy and handed <gasps> it to her because that's what Mammy does first thing in the morning: check yeah. the phone. And oh. so my friend is is a politician. She's constantly on the phone, constantly getting messages. But she said it really inspired her to just you know what this weekend phone's going off. Yeah, I'll check it maybe three times. I yeah. don't get back to anything urgent. But no, this is about me and and the baby for the for the weekend. I'm not gonna. And I thought that was lovely, but it did take that that little moment of. Yeah, what am I they doing? hold up a mirror to you in a way that, you know, other grown ups will kind of dance around and not tell you yeah. it's straight. And they just have this way of doing it. But like my kids now use my book against me. Like if I'm now fobbing. <laughs> 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 so if I'm now fobbing them off and they're like, you're just like the mom and be exprela. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, you'll play so with well. Luna, but you won't yeah. play with me. <laughs> yeah, so it kind of backfired. <laughs> But I think that's so nice. I think it goes back to that that same idea, like you said earlier, about like the honesty of kids like that. If like they have no preconceptions about anything. So like if you're doing something, they're going to do it back to you. Like and don't care how, how that's going to make you feel, like make you realize that like, oh, I'm on my phone all the time or whatever it is. The same with like their honesty about a book. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also you see that in like how much they enjoy like it's just pure when they do enjoy a book, like a child will just purely enjoy it. And it's such a wonderful thing to see when a child is like creased laughing at a book or really enjoying a book or wants that book to be read again. Like it's the sweetest thing. They just enjoy it so much. So it just must be such a nice audience to have. Oh, at the same yeah. time as being harsh, but such a nice audience oh, also. Oh, such a nice audience. They're so up for fun, you see. I, mean, I, I just spend mm-hmm. a lot of time in libraries and in schools doing readings and it's such a joy because you get that instant feedback and but also you get to have fun because I'll do little bits of movement or I'll ask them about, I'll ask them questions throughout and you know, get them to kind of identify like, yeah. do you have grown ups at home that say I'll be there in a minute all the time? They're like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? it's, it's like she knows my life. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really funny when they identify with that. I love it. <laughs> so tell us about your second book. The second book is called Bugbidach. Um, and it's about a little girl called Nina. And Nina has a little brother called Jimmy. So um, Jimmy kind of wants to play with her and she's a bit fed up because she wants to play on her own. 
So her favorite toy. I see, I see you learned your lesson because Luna didn't want to play on her own. Like, Next <laughs> yes. time I write a little girl, that bitch is going to be able to play on her own. We actually had a joke about that when we were trying to come up with the title because, you know, you often have a working title and then you come mm. up with the actual title. So the, um, we actually had an, an in-joke with the publisher um, that we were going to call it Nobby Spreelum. <laughs> <laughs> Don't play with me. And it kind of fits. So, um, so uh Nina has a favourite toy, like a lot of kids do, and her favourite toy is her dolls and her dollhouse. So she wants to be Bjog Biedok so she can go and live with her dolls in her doll's house and without Jimmy, so Jimmy can't kind of annoy her. Mm-hmm. So um, mm. so she she manages to do that. <gasps> so she, Amazing. Yeah. Dreht. Dreht. Kind of dreht. But sort of, I think the inspiration for that book was actually Where the Wild Things Are by Mara Sendak and just that idea of a child going into their imagination and into that sort of world that we as adults, we forget to how to get there. You know, they're really, mm-hmm. really immersed in that world. And I think that was one of the big inspirations for that book. And then um, also the fact that it was one of my greatest desires as a child <laughs> to, to be, be able to be teeny tiny, yeah, to be Pia Pita. What was your favourite toy? Was it a doll? It was, yeah. My uncle made me this dollhouse. Now, it was for my Sylvanians, the Sylvanian were really Sylvania families were prohibitively expensive in the 80s uh, mm. for my family anyway and um, I had a few figurines but my uncle actually made me like a wooden version of the houses oh. which I still have and it's still like really well made so it's in perfect condition my, my daughters play with it now but um, I used to like lie in bed every night going oh I wish I was teeny tiny I wish when I open my eyes I'm going to be in that dollhouse with my Sylvania. Oh my god I love this I, I'm relating so much <laughs> to this like I, I know this is supposed to be about your books but let's talk more about Sylvanian <laughs> I still collect them oh my god I love them I, I, listen anybody who you want a good time you want some pure internet content follow the Sylvanian yes. family's Twitter page yes. like, it is just yeah. pure like goodness adorable content like it's so heartwarming yeah. and sweet like and every now and then they give away shit and I'm, I'm entering yeah. that like nobody's business like yeah, they're so gorgeous it started off when Guardian you were talking this sounded like toilet graffiti for a good time Cole do you know what though there is actually a a kind of risque version someone using Sylvanian families doing naughty things no no yeah we cannot be what's the URL we cannot no where can I find it's a Twitter feed it's a Twitter feed I think it's like Forest Family or something like that I can't remember I haven't looked at it in a while because it would soil my eyes but uh, what sociopath is a total, is total tangent, but there's a fantastic oh, website called The Brick Testament where people reenact Bible verses using Lego figures. Oh, wow. It's absolutely brilliant. Particularly oh, when it gets that. to like Deuteronomy and Leviticus, where they start talking about the laws of the ancient Hebrews and what people could get stoned for. And you got the guys throwing, they have the little, the circular <laughs> yeah, one, yeah, yeah. one piece that uh, <laughs> looks a little bit like a rock and they're throwing it at other Lego men. It's hilarious. Amazing. Man. It's a similar thing, but just uh, little cute creatures doing really dodgy things. I loved, I loved <laughs> Sylvanian families when 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 I was a kid because my cousins had them, so it was great to play with them. But like you said, they were prohibitively expensive. The closest yeah. I ever got was like to look at the Argos catalogue, yeah. and use my imagination <laughs> yeah. about the Sylvanian families that were there. Yeah, that was my childhood. Thanks, <laughs> oh. Dad. <laughs> I tell you, I had some Sylvanian families, but I think I w- it was later. I was like older when I when I got them like like because they were too when like were good quality like and expensive 22. for a reckless child <laughs> like you know <laughs> yes I still have them now but they one of my forever. friends 
like one of my friends had older sisters and older cousins who like had had a collection of them. So she had this, to me, it seemed like a theme park of Sylvanian family, like worlds, but it was probably like three like separate houses. Like, but to me, it was like the most amazing thing. So I used to love going to her house to play with her Sylvanian families. She had, a, she had an amazing collection of Barbies as well by virtue of having older sisters and stuff. But, but with, um, with, with Barbies, with, with Sylvanian families, and when I was growing up, it was toy soldiers. It was green army oh, men, yeah. green oh, yeah. plastic army men, and then some tin soldiers that I got from, from relatives and all that. It's all about imagination. Yeah. It's all about yeah. building this world. Uh, you know, like there's a brilliant poem I you know, grew up reading the, the Land of Counterpain. It's about a boy oh, yeah. who's sick and imagining hills and villages mm-hmm. right there on his bedspread because he can't leave the bed. And how do you tap into that? How do you put that onto paper, that world of imagination? Because obviously what, what you think up and what you and when you work with an illustrator, you have another imagination there as well. Yes. So how do you try and capture a generic, there's no such thing as a generic child, obviously, but a generic child's imagination on paper. Well, I think you don't really go for the generic child. I think that's the the thing you tap into your own or like watching my children. Like the first book was inspired by a conversation my daughter and I had. And then the second one was very much a memory of my own. And I think finding something that's authentic, that's real is the only way to do it because I think there's so many of those books that you find and they're just the generic story but they don't do very well and they don't they're mm. not classics they're not not that I'm saying my books are future classics or anything but uh, um, current classics current classics, current classics. <laughs> <laughs> yes well the second one did get nominated for a Children's Books Ireland uh, shortlisted for an award yes. so Book of the Year award so we didn't right, win okay. I don't like being in a room where I'm actually outnumbered <laughs> my celebrated authors <laughs> <laughs> yes. So yes, current classic. It's in the top ten in Ireland at the moment. I guess. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and like that's and a the, mu- that, let's be fair. That's a big market. There's a lot of stuff out there for kids. Like there's yes, a lot it's of books huge. This is something I wanted to really ask you because I, when, I, when I started, kind of the, the, the Irish Four and the Mother Folklore, people were saying, "Oh, you should knock out an old kids book." I mean, I think, you know, anyone. This, this, my 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 daughter has all these kids books, and most of them are shite. Mm. And you know, <laughs> any any old age. And I was like, no, it's it's kids are so particular about yeah. what's what's good and what isn't and there's just the perception that anyone can knock out a kid's book per- perpetuated by certain celebrity authors uh, who have yeah. name recognition uh, yes Na- I mean I would, coaches would, would, <laughs> yeah um, so obviously the, 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 cele- <laughs> the celebrity children's author thing bit of a bit of a problem it can be because I think it swamps other work that's coming out that may, is equally good or sometimes sometimes an awful lot better and I think because they have that platform um, you know, it just makes it harder for everybody else because it does drown out and people will know their names. And, uh, you know, even if they're not celebrities to current children, their parents will know the names and they'll go, oh, yeah, he was funny on the telly. I'll buy mm. this. Book. He must be funny for kids. I'll buy that book for my kids. Because you know? my daughter hasn't heard of BJ Novak. Like, okay. my daughter doesn't watch The Office. Yeah, or, yeah, or exactly. But you're going to go, oh, he's a cool guy who makes funny comedy. I'll buy that book. Yeah. I think his book's very good, though. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so do, you, do you just you look at these celebrity children's authors and you just do your best Bane impression? Like, the children are your ally? <laughs> Not really. I think there's room for, you know, there's room for everybody. It's all different yeah. slices of the pie and you just do your own thing because I think if you're trying to compare yourself, it's just the death of creativity. The- the test, I think, that someone else had mentioned is that real children's authors are always talking about how much they love kids' books, always recommending other children's authors they yes. love, whereas this, often the celebrity children's authors only talk about themselves. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah, and you would 
read widely. Like mm-hmm. one of my favorite things to do is my girls um, go to brownies on a Tuesday evening and it's like an hour and 15 minutes, which is like the weirdest length class ever. Oh. But um, the library is right across the road and it's open late that day. So I uh, go to the library and I just take like a stack of picture books and I just sit and will read for that hour as mm. many picture books. And I'm sitting, everyone else is studying and like doing really complicated looking things and I've just got this like, <laughs> stack like, the up to my eyeball. Like, right, <laughs> yeah. Here's the poor creature back. She's, <laughs> she's, she's, not, she's, not, she's not great at the reading. She does the picture books there every... <laughs> Every week she comes in. I'm not sure she has the reading. I know. That's literally what I fear. (laughs) You know, Nala have a class, you know, if you're you're interested. They have it on a Wednesday night there if you're not good at the reading. That's exactly what it looks like. But I don't care because I love reading them. And you you know, you'll read good ones, you'll read bad ones, you'll read in between ones, you'll read ones that blow your mind and you wish you could write that well. And... Um, but I think it's really important to know what's out there and know, and then mm. so you don't just fabricate the same story again, you know. Are there kind of universal elements to, to, to stories though? Because when you look at simple stories, the stories that we all grew up with, like even mythology, there's mm. an awful lot been written about how basically there is one monomyth yeah, and we all is. sort of slap into it. Is there one Absolutely. Joseph Campbell style, one single children's story that everything sort of slots in and out of or are there, there common is. tropes? There's there's a common, there's like a, it's almost like a formula for picture books. So um, there's, 32 pages in a picture book. Oh. The story happens over 12 double spreads. Um, in it, you have your hero. You've got your problem. You might have your rule of three where three things happen or they try three different things to solve the problem or change their situation. There'll be the twist and then the, there has to be like a satisfying ending. Mm. So the ending, it doesn't yeah. that doesn't mean necessarily that it's a happy ending or a sad ending or in anything. It has just to just to be the a res- resolution. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the formula, which sounds really simple and basic. And then you try and make it. But then you have to make that in, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> You can fit anything around that, though. I mean, that that's a formula. Okay, that's fine. But like, yeah. that's that's infinite. Like, when you think about maybe the, the picture books that you remember reading, or the ones that you read to your own kids, like, like that probably fits to most of them. But like, mm. the possibilities are endless. Like, they are exactly. And it's finding that, and it's finding that different take and that different yeah. way of looking at it. So the first, my first book, there are so many books about children who want to play with their parents, or busy parents, this mm. and the other. There's millions of them out there, but you have to find something. Un- in a unique way to tell that story and not just have it in Osgoelga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is Osgoelga. It and is and That's important. And what, what, mm-hmm. what's the what's the scene like? What's the market like? I have picture books and books at home for for my kid. He can't read yet, but mm-hmm. I read them to him. And I, I love reading ones that are Osgoelga. It's, it's a scene, I suppose. It's growing. I'm certainly noticing more, yeah. maybe because I'm a recent parent, but I think, I think it is a burgeoning sort of scene. I yeah. think it's, uh, there's always, yeah, it's definitely a scene and it's, it, I think it's nice because I think I've, okay, so I've worked in the Irish language since I left university and I worked with uh, families who are speaking Irish at home or trying to speak Irish at home or wondering how they even start with the basics of using a tiny cupola focal at home. And over the, the years, there's been so many more. I mean, it's not humongous uh, in terms of publications, but it's um, it's so much better now. And the quality of stuff is getting better and better and better. And it holds up to an international standard, definitely. The mm. Irish language books mm. that are being published now are of an international standard that any publisher in the world would publish, if you know what I mean. This is, again, the great thing about talking about 
kids' books is that they don't think yours is special because it's Irish. Yes. They think it's special because yeah. it's good. And they'll, they'll be right up and tell you, like, no, that, that was crap. I don't care what language it was yes. in. I don't care that it's yeah. in the minority language you're trying to raise me through, Daddy. Yes. <laughs> this is a shit book and yes. I don't want to read it again. I know. And I think compared to books that I would have had as a child when there wasn't so much of a scene and everything was being imported from Russia and other Eastern European countries, probably because they were cheap to get them in. And they were not really picture books, even though they had pictures of them. They were like illustrated stories. And the Irish was really government issue. Like it was really, you know, and I just never really liked them. Loved Bran. We had Bran and, you know, you know, perfect. And there was a couple of things I liked, Um, but they were all just a bit weird and they weren't really. It was kind of when we got to, when we got to Grail School age, when we we went to the Grail School, um, we had Lulu, Nelly, Mickey, August Rira. Yeah. That was when shit got real. I love that. That was engaging characters, overcoming problems, seeking resolution. Yes, yes. Finally, like finally, this is <laughs> nice this is big good. print, so we can read it. <laughs> <laughs> There's one book uh, I really enjoy reading to my son. I don't know if you've seen it. It's Abiter by Renee Mullen. It's just an it's an illustrated alphabet, and it's gorgeous. But uh, yeah, the, the problem is that like everything is perfect except for G. G is for Gavlog, and I would never have a oh. Gavlog in my house. I'd have a fork. Like a- Fork. Oh, okay, fork. I yeah, yeah. Fork so well. it's a mm. fork. So I'm reading this to my son. Is going like you know, mm. you know, F is for Fuenyo. There's so and many G things. G is for fork. Yeah. Yeah. G, sorry, Gavlog. I've never heard that. Or Gavlog. Gavlog. So Gav. Yeah. Not not Gluston. No, no, no Gluston. We're not starting that shit again. Or Gatha. Gatha could have been nice. The Swedish for fork is Gaffel, so that, oh. I'm just enjoying that. But I've never, like, sorry, that's not the Irish of fork. The Irish of fork is fork. It's fork. Like. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. But it's still a beautiful book. It's still a lovely little piece of, of just mm. a nice little educational yeah. res- resource, but it's just fun because the pictures are beautiful. And it's beautiful, exactly. And I think that's the thing with picture books. It's really the first... Um, it's the first access a child will have to art in a lot of ways. Mm. So they deserve to have really high quality art. And I've had the pleasure of working with two amazing illustrators so far, Tercilla Cruz uh, for BX Brilum. And she is from Brazil, Ohus, but she's living in Dublin now and she's learning Irish, actually. Oh, so, oh wow. Yes. And she's brilliant. That's she's amazing. Such a beautiful book. Like, yeah, she's and fantastic. Gorgeous. There's a mythical country across the sea in Irish mythology called Brazil. And the surname uh, yeah. Brazil comes from that. And but it's, and it just happens that Brazil was a coincidence, and oh, no, wow. no one knows how this all got, got happened. We're, we're going to do a deep dive on that someday. Oh, it was damn. the it was the Amazons. Oh well, ask her oh. to come in and Nahamazonic. <laughs> 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 yeah. They came over to play Camogie against Emmett Giles uh, way back. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, <laughs> I'm aware of that, and there's a surname Brazil as well. There is indeed. Yeah. So that's uh, there's nothing to do with the country. And the other illustrator you worked with illustrator for Bug B- is Roshin Hahasi, who is from Tullamore, uh, but lives in Brazil. <gasps> what? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I know. Pure flute. I enjoy that. <laughs> yes, I enjoy it. Isn't lot. that nice? <laughs> Neither of them known for their hurling. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that was just absolute fluke, but amazing. I love that kind of. That's remarkable. Yeah, that's isn't it strange? A little bit magical. Yeah. So and what's the process like then? Do you write the story fully formed and then go, you find an illustrator and you say, here's what I have in mind, have at it? Or do you sort um, of... So I would write the story and then I would send it to the publisher and they'd say, 
no, I don't like that one. Come back again. <laughs> Come back again with another idea. And you do that a few times. Um, and then you eventually hit on something and they say yes. And um, so he would find the illustrator, the author of a picture book generally has absolutely no say in who illustrates their books. Okay. Oh. So publisher handles that because the publisher may already have a relationship with various illustrators or may uh, and and then if you're a new author especially because they're taking a risk on you yeah. essentially you can't um, call the shots you yeah. can't call any shots and I think probably you can't call any shots in general like unless you're like Julia Donaldson or something and they, they just they're like she's already got a couple of packages with a couple of illustrators but um yeah, so then the illustrator goes to work and that's the longest part of the process because it's humongous. You're talking about 12 double spreads, full colour, like it's it's a big amount oh, of work. take a day or two, all right. It yeah. just really <laughs> does. And then... Uh, we have it done by five or should we... Well, I order Chinese. We, we hang up, will we wait? Yeah, 24 hours a day probably for a long time. A few months anyway, about three, four months. Wow. Um, and then... Uh, generally, again, the author doesn't get a say in the illustration and it would mostly be handled by the publisher um, and they would be the ones to feedback and say, no, I don't like that. Can you change the expression on that face or whatever it is? Um, I was very fortunate in that I'd be quite an, an arty and kind of visual person myself. So Tyg, uh, my publisher from Fata Fata, uh, let, uh, let me have input. So um, This is the great Tyg... This is great, Tyg McGonagall, absolutely. Uh, or, uh, the scriptwriter behind Afric, yes. among other things. Yes. Uh, a huge. The musical genius behind the Raftery era <laughs> underground. <laughs> <laughs> the musical genius full stop of yeah. all the children's rhymes. I mean, yes, yeah, yes. a, a major figure in, yeah. in, um, in pop culture, Oskelga. Yes, he's incredible. And I always wanted to work with him. And I was very fortunate that he picked me up. So, yeah, so I had originally, when, when that, creative writing teacher had said to me oh uh, why didn't you ever write in Osquilgan I was like ah nah sure Jesus wouldn't be able to the, to do that and um, but it kind of that little grain stuck there and I said well I might try writing Osquilgan but it would have to be non-fiction like it would have to be kind of something factual I don't think I could you know use my imagination <laughs> in Irish or something <laughs> and so I sent we are a famously unimaginative <laughs> people <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know what the the box there was, considering I started as now I didn't I didn't have Irish at home, but I started in Nino when I was like two and a half or something. So and all the way up and all through college, and then worked all my life as Gaelic and spoke Irish every single day. So I don't know why I had such you know fear behind it. But anyway, I said I'll write something nonfiction. And on my blog, my English language blog, I had been writing different craft projects for kids, and I said I'll pitch a craft book. Uh, to him so I didn't really do my homework properly because he came back to me and said nah, no we don't really do those kind of books <laughs> <laughs> so um, do you want to if you have any picture book ideas send me a picture book idea and I said oh great yeah I have small kids I read picture books all day every day I, I still have loads of my own from when I was a kid I'm a big fan of picture books so I set, sent him um, uh, an idea and he said just send me a synopsis of an idea so I sent him a, a 900 word synopsis now bearing in mind <laughs> how that many most, words are in the picture book yeah like around 500 <laughs> so he's and like then, yeah as we turn to page 4 
We see the hero's face. <laughs> yes, basically. So very mm. long-winded, terrible synopsis. And he was like, if you can't like synopsis, <laughs> synopsis, yeah. if you can't tell the story in like a line, uh, this yeah, this is not going to work. He said, but he recommended me different resources and different books to read. He was like the kindest. So he's so generous with his knowledge and with his experience. And he would he told me what to read and how to find out more. And he said, and come back to me if you're interested. So it was through learning more. And then I did a great thing, which is available to anyone who writes Osgwelga for any genre. Uh, First Nguelga have uh, a thing called Shkame Nanidi, which is like a mentoring uh course kind of thing I suppose where they pair you up with somebody who is further ahead in their career writing wow. and oh, that's amazing yeah it's incredible and you spend was, a year so Tig was my idda oh, oh <laughs> get in nothing but that <laughs> now he's under no obligation I mean I could have been crap you know um, but I was well, lucky that one I was this crap woman, for ages this woman who writes boring synopses <laughs> actually has a good idea yes. there somewhere buried eventually, deep down eventually I got a good idea towards like the last bit of the whole year he said that one that's the one we're going to do that one so um, yeah so I was really lucky so that was my in I suppose um, to the world of publishing that's but I recommend that incredible. because it's amazing because you you have con- you have feedback for a whole year on yeah. anything you're writing yeah, and they say everyone has a book in them don't they they, they do, do say that they do you've had two Derek's had two <laughs> unfortunately that screws the average for me and Gary <laughs> we, we have to sadly remain bookless in order to keep it at one per person I'm currently working on a never ending book I'll die before that ever comes out of me I'll just be one of those sad people I know you'll do it you'll do it do it for yourself even I think that's the thing just do it do it for yourself oh, and yeah, yeah. keep I think going that's what oh yeah the published authors in the room no, telling us to self publish yeah, yeah. <laughs> no not even to self publish just <laughs> yeah. write it for yourself because you have to write the story you want to tell and it doesn't, you know, and that's the one you get out of your system. I still write other stuff for myself that I may never try and get published. It's just there because you have ideas. I've got, I've got one of those too, one that will never be seen. It's like uh, sometimes when I have writer's block, one of the ways around it is to write something really, really bad, intentionally bad. And then you actually realize you can't stop yeah, writing and then someone starts looking good. Ah, very yeah, but good. Then they went and a published good exercise. It. <laughs> I'm only kidding award winning author it's okay it's okay no I, I've done some fatal deviation fan fiction oh god oh wow. here, no, here's what's are you familiar with fatal release. deviation I'm not fatal You're deviation gonna I know really what fan fiction is <laughs> fatal deviation is Ireland's premier martial arts movie as in I think it's Ireland's only yeah. martial arts movie it is it's uh, it's in that territory of the room and other movies that are so bad. That's, it's that's brilliant. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. Okay. So yeah, Fatal Deviation. It's entirely filmed and set in uh, Trim, Trim County <laughs> Meath. Oh, the hub of, of martial Fu, arts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ireland's Tai Chi and Kung Fu capital. <laughs> Trim, Kunda to me. With one of the lads from Boyzone in yes. it. Yeah. Oh, and okay, M- yeah, that's Mikey the one that Graham wants is... to do. Yeah, yeah. we we got to do a live viewing of that. Like. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Mikey Graham is the villain, but the opening credits, I guess he's thought these songs brought it. It says, you know, and Mikey Graham from Irish rock band Boyzone. Oh, yeah, no, that's <laughs> pushing us. <laughs> I love that. Rock Mikey out. <laughs> I love the way that whoever made that film had obviously not only never heard of Boyzone, but had obviously also never seen a kung fu movie in their entire life. <laughs> But the um, but no, no you know that Mikey Graham had that in his writer. Like he's like, I'm not partaking in this film unless I'm called a rock star. Like there's no way I'm taking part in this film unless oh, I get to be a rock be star. It. Yeah, nailed on. <laughs> you have to call us a rock band. <laughs> All right, <laughs> fine. We wore leather once. 
comes to understanding political issues, I am a self-confessed toddler. That's why I've enlisted the help of Steve, my politically savvy drinking buddy, to help me better understand politics. Every couple of weeks, we get together and record on topics like what is the politics of language, what is Watergate, how the internet is killing democracy. We take these big issues and we break them down into silly little comedic bite-sized bits. If you like the sound of that, then search for What Am Politics in your podcast app of choice or find us here on the Headstuff Podcast Network. There are some reviewers even of books who won't review. Now, most are fine. But yeah. There's a couple who, even if you give, and actually when their copies of the books are sent out to review, there would always be an English script yeah. with it because just because we n- don't expect everyone to because some reviewers are it. monolingual cultural and just, imperialists. And just decide, no, not for me. I can't review that. I can't possibly review it, even though it's in English in black and white in front of me. I can't review it. These so. are the same people that will happily review a Czech art house film. Probably, at yeah. The lighthouse, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. And you have to see it in the original Czech. Don't, don't, <laughs> go, to the, don't go to the dubbed version. That'll be, what's that, Quelga? I'm not touching that. Yes, yeah. But then you have to think about like who the audience is like because I'm that annoying relative that like so none of the like children in my family speak Irish or none of the like other people in my family would speak Irish to their children <laughs> yet I haven't got a hold of them yet <laughs> but I'm that annoying relative that will always buy them like an Irish language something no matter what it is it's in the Irish language mm-hmm. and I can see the parents rolling their eyes at me because they're like oh yeah okay that's fine that's very sweet and all but I have to read it to them and like, but the kids do not care that it's in Irish they like that one because mm-hmm. there's fun sounds in it and the pictures are cool and their parents are like fuck I'd have to read that Irish one again like and I'm like yes you do you're welcome like, so. actually that that does that does raise a really interesting question though because you're not marketing it at kids obviously no. it's the kids that have to enjoy it mm-hmm. but you need to grab the attention of an yes. adult compared Absolutely. to all the other books on the bookshelf so yes. how, how challenging is that that it, well you're writing you're literally writing for two audiences so you are, you are always you have both in mind. So when you're coming up with a story, it has to be something that makes, like that reaction that you guys gave me when I said about being Bjorg Bidok, being tiny. Oh my God, yeah, I'd love that. Because we all kind of have memories of that in us, of being small and wishing you could be a thing or, you know, turn into something, press your belly button and turn invisible. Whatever it is, you always have those ideas and you can still identify with them because you're still the same person. And then, but also a child would go, oh, I'd love to do that too. So you're always trying to find something. Obviously, my first book with the parental guilt in it, you know, that's pretty universal. Yeah, that, is, <laughs> Every, that really resonates. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> that's playing that's, with you in a minute. <laughs> so that was easier to speak to two audiences in terms of your, the mommy just goes, er, like nearly every parent that I'm at events, family events, whatever, come up to me going, oh, that page with the, you know, the, when she realizes, I'm like, yeah, I know, yeah. I know it's a true story. <laughs> and the cat's in the cradle in the silver spoon. <laughs> Little boy blue in the cradle. Exactly. And then the kids identify with the, the kid trying to get their attention, basically. So, yeah, but it is, you do have to have that. And I think books that are less successful don't do that because parents will go, oh, God, I have to read this one again. Do you know But you want the parent to enjoy reading it the 500 nights in a row? Because that's <laughs> yes. sometimes what happens. <laughs> this is the thing. Generally speaking, yeah, there's a Pareto principle in that you will read kind of a, a like 20% of a kid's books to them, maybe 80% of the time. The chances are there's a lot of books that you get one chance and then they're, they're, they're chucked yeah. hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, and then where, and similarly that, like there's certain cartoons that will be watched over and over and over again. And the others don't get an apps, don't get a look in mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Uh, I, when I was a kid, I watched. We had a tape of an American Tale. Oh yeah. And I pretty oh, much, I, I pretty much that. watched it every single Five-o? year. Five old Moscovitz. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you go I to America, that. five. <laughs> 
You do. You get obsessed. Streets are paved with cheese. Yeah. <laughs> yes. There are no cats in America. America. <laughs> but I, I watched that. I probably watched that every single Saturday and Sunday morning mm. for about two years. Yeah. It was a tape that my dad's friend had given us. And uh, it was an American tale and then several episodes of the Pink Panther. Cool. Afterwards, to fill up the to get the gap, the blank bit. Oh, yeah. yeah, there's no point in wasting tape. No, you know? absolutely oh. not. You have <laughs> tape. No, you did not waste tape. But also, that when when the the, the the tape recorders came out, you know, there's a don't tape over my thing. Yes. And one of the first things my father recorded when we got the the tape recording was, it was the the funeral of Cardinal Fiech. And we didn't know who Cardinal Fiat was. We knew we got a day off in school because some, yeah, some it was, Cardinal died. <laughs> it was big news. I wrote it in my diary at that age. Cardinal Fiat died. And I was like, I don't know who it is. But it was important. This? This, this is like 1989. Yeah. Just um, drill blank. We got it. We got it. Okay, maybe this indicates what kind of school I went to compared to what kind of school I went to. We, <laughs> we got a half day off when the Birmingham Six were released. Oh, wow. <laughs> Nothing for Cardinal Fiat. Oh, <laughs> So much about who you are at this point. <laughs> I love that. We we got a half day and Seamus Heaney got a Nobel Prize, so that's that's just a different kind of a kettle of fish. Yeah, mm. that's different. All right. So. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, so Cardinal O'Fierke passed away, and Dad taped it, and Dad said, you know, and Dad didn't um, because he put it away. And one day, I remember Colonel said we wanted to watch something on television. And he said, "Oh, I'll just use this. No one's going to watch this funeral ever again." Oh, there was hell to pay. I'd say. There was hell to pay. Yeah. <laughs> it was a historical moment <laughs> recorded for it wasn't eternity. Even good, it wasn't even a good funeral. You're the way after sometimes that funeral was like, oh, it's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> it's lovely. You, you really felt the priest knew him. Like, <laughs> really felt he knew him, though. He wasn't true? just reading off the page. Is no, that ever lovely. true? They, uh, we had that. So we had um, American Tale, like that. We had American Tale. Um, Fife and Mouskowitz. We had it recorded, but like half of it was like a leash match from 1993 on death. <laughs> so like, I did not know until I was about 20 years old and it was on telly one Christmas. I did not know how Fife got to America. Like, I did not know that Fife originated in Russia. I just thought they had cute accents. Like, <laughs> why they were singing about this. Like, so you, you thought basically... Like, oh my God, he's a little immigrant mouse. Like, now I get it. So you, you thought that Cheddar Plunkett had a starring role in the first half of... Uh... <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Wow, Gary, I'm guessing this is this is one of the matches that Leash actually won, was it? Was uh, I think it might have been a match that my dad was actually playing in, so it would be oh. a junior B Leash match. Yeah, yeah. So hurt football, not hurting. Yeah. So I think I can't remember why. Like we'd obviously fast forward through it to get to the match. <laughs> <laughs> we had we had we had one tape for all my dad's TV appearances because he would occasionally play live at three. Uh, when he was with the Dublin City Ramblers, so we had one tape, and you just it would never be watched again. It's for some reason posterity. we were recording these for posterity. Yeah. I didn't realize that like VHS would become obsolete at some stage. I know. Yeah. I heard a description. Speaking of cartoon obsessions, my daughters are currently really into Steven Universe, which is kind of a really quirky, really good cartoon. I believe actually. it's Totes Woke. Oh, though. it's brilliant! It's so good. But there's one point where I don't know exactly what the characters are doing, but one of them says, "You have to watch this video." And he says, what's that? And uh, she says, it's like a DVD, but in a box. And I was like, that's a really, really good description. <laughs> as an author, actually, that really makes me wonder, as an author, how do you future-proof your book? Because, like, you know, like phones that have cards and are yes. attached to a number pad, that's not a thing kids are going to grow up experiencing, really. No. Uh, so there's a mobile phone in in my book because mommy answers the phone, but it's very nondescript. It's like a 
Okay. Uh, just a great box. That's you know that's up to the illustrator. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think that's kind of that's kind of universal though. You don't want it to absolutely look like a Huawei. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then like the U.S. government kills Huawei <laughs> yes, off, exactly. and nobody's gonna nobody's gonna ever have a Huawei again. It's just a very generic <laughs> shape, uh, just a dark shape. You so better hope mobile phones don't get obsolete. I know. Well, they probably will. We'll all have chips in our brains or something. Oh, but that'll make that'll make books obsolete as well. So your you, problem won't your problem be solved then. Isn't <laughs> beam it directly to your it's cornea? Your brain. Oh God. So Isn't terrible. that an in, in the cat in the hat doesn't say he's when they're they're cleaning the house and wasn't it his daddy's seven dollar shoes I was like oh, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I get a pair of shoes for seven <laughs> bucks now I'd be thanks like, pennies thanks pennies exactly <laughs> <laughs> in the sales section of pennies <laughs> it's funny though when you when you look at so many films and so many books and so many, where the plot entirely hinges on something that's completely and totally obsolete now. Mm. Like, oh, listen, I literally just finished watching um, with the HBO app, HBO Nordic app, and I just finished watching The Wire. And like, man, is it outdated? Like, <laughs> Tap and like, pay phones. First of all, they're Americans concerned about privacy, like red flag number one. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And like it literally season one, they have typewriters and they're talking about how they might be getting computers soon and they all have pagers. And I'm like, what is this technology? Like, like it started in 2002, I think. So it was right after 9-11. Mobile phones, mobile phones were prohibitively expensive in in the States. I remember this talking to people, you know, talking to people from the States when I was a teenager. Like I bought my first mobile phone with a pay packet from the pub I was working in when I was 16. Yeah. So I went down and bought a Philips Savvy. Oh, nice. uh, Absolutely. I had an Alcatel. An Alcatel, <laughs> old school, and uh, and I remember talking to people online because you'd go into these chat rooms on Microsoft and talk to people from all over the world when the internet was new and shiny. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Yeah, I got a mobile phone." I was like, "Oh my god, how can you afford a mobile phone?" I was like, "Cause I'm not a yank." Yeah, like... everyone had pagers when I was there in the late '90s, early 2000s, mm-hmm. and I had a pager actually. You had a pager. I had a pager when I was in sixth year and first year. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's the big thing was was it, it a mini call? It was. Oh, I don't know what it was. It was useless. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because you'd nobody ringing you. Yeah, like. my parents going call home. You've been in college for three days and we haven't seen you. <laughs> in America at the time, I remember the late nineties because I was looking at the words, the, the origin of text as a verb, and for my second book, and one of the things was that local calls were free in America. Yes. So this this space this really kind of restricted the early growth of mobile phones compared to in Ireland mm-hmm. when. Um, when I suppose it was it was fairly easy. There was kind of one, there was initially one supplier, then the, we had to kind of have a small market. But then the it also cost money to receive a text message in America. Oh, so wow. if someone was that, sent yeah. you six texts in a row, they, they, it was going to cost you money to read them. Whereas it was free to dial and to receive on yeah. a local, a, yeah. you know, a non-long distance. We used to, you could go into like a cafe and say, can I use your phone to make a local call? And they'd let you. And what you'd do is you would leave, you'd leave uh, answer phone messages and then your friend would ring their phone and you could hack in you'd like you could access your voicemails mm-hmm. from your phone oh. so that was how you just leave voice messages for each other really really like loads of effort but but free and completely yeah. and totally obsolete now because everyone's yeah. mobile so like the, yeah. the yeah. entire idea like I think literally every episode of Seinfeld revolves around oh my god I can't believe you left a message on a ransom phone I know like we no- have to get into our house <laughs> and delete a ransom phone oh, oh. <laughs> nobody leaves mess- voice messages <laughs> for anyone. no one listens to them anyway <laughs> you left me a voice message are you a psychopath <laughs> <laughs> you know but, I'm not going to listen to that, right? <laughs> but, but this is actually why more and more crime stories are set in the past. 
uh, why ah, we have more deep yeah. dive old crime stories. Oh, yeah, I think yeah. things like West Cork and, and mm. Serial are so popular. And even when No Country for Old Men came out, they said that actual modern, it's very hard to make a, a, a standard satisfying police thriller using modern technology because uh, because the police took so, so much information in people's lives now. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's terrifying. Even like... Um, so you have to go back to when they weren't as good at catching criminals. <laughs> well, there wasn't as much evidence, yeah. I suppose. Their evidence was easier done away with. But even during the 90s when it's like, okay, we need we need to keep, keep him on the line for two minutes so we can, we can yeah, find yeah, out trace the call. Yeah, trace the call. <laughs> he's getting off at 159, boys. He's getting off... Lads, he's getting off... Just hang up now. He's getting off at one... It's a payphone anyway. It's a payphone anyway. The actual use of Google or of, of payphones, because obviously I'm living in Finland now where they've had Nokia for such a long time that like payphones have not existed. Like there aren't in Finland anymore. They do not exist here. So my other half always finds a gas when he sees those like old telecom air and payphones in Ireland when he comes to Ireland. He's like, oh my God, like nostalgia. <laughs> like, but it's just so weird to see people actually using them. And I'm like, where would they even get change for a payphone nowadays? I use my tap on my card all the time. Like, how do people exist in this world? They have to carry around coins. They have no phone. <laughs> they have to use a pay They have to remember numbers. What oh, yeah, no. like? yeah, I remember reading a thriller. I can't remember who wrote it. It may have been a Jeffrey Archer book, but they identified a body as an FBI agent because he had a roll of quarters in his pocket and every FBI agent had a roll of quarters because uh, they needed to use pay phones to phone the field office. All the time. Wow. I was kind of like, wow, that's dated. <laughs> that's <laughs> heavy. immediately dated. <laughs> and heavy lopsided <laughs> suits. Hi, <Yeah. laughs> oh, carrying a gun. I see him. <laughs> Is that a roll of quarters in your pocket? <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> so, so I've police yeah. th- vintage police thriller next. <laughs> Do you know? I totally listened to loads of crime, and <laughs> I went down to Listowel Writers Week with a crime writer friend of mine, Andrea Mara, and we went down for uh, a holiday, kind of. And mm-hmm. uh, because I was with her, we ended up going to all the crime stuff, <laughs> which is great. And I was like, oh, I must try and figure out how to fit an L murder into a children's <laughs> book. Mm-hmm. But uh, but if you're going to grow with your readers, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do a J.K. Rowling on it now, you know. Well, one then. of my favourite children's authors, I guess he's a children's author, he's very dark, is a guy called Edward Gorey. Gorey, as in Gorey down Wexford, but he was mm. um, from Boston, I think. Oh. Um, and he wrote all these all these really dark, kind of twisted and illustrated, wrote and illustrated these stories, very unusual. But he has an, an alphabet book. And every page, so every letter, a child dies. So I'm like, if he can get away with that, like A is for Amy, who fell down the stairs. Oh. B is for Basil, assaulted by bears. And it rhymes? <laughs> yes, the whole amazing. thing. It's amazing. It's called the Gashley Crumb Tinies. And uh, they all die, like run through with awls. They drink lye by mistake. There's all these kind of really weird things. But I'm like, if yeah, I'd kind of like to go but, there. <laughs> but children do respond to that really dark mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. And I suppose that's one of the reasons Roald Dahl has been so enduringly yeah. popular. Yeah. Because they're all little psychopaths. <laughs> I think it's really important because... The, the, I, every single one of them. They the, are. the trick is to keep your ob- ob- objectionable dating opinions off the page. That's how Roald Dahl has, has done so much better than Ian Blyton in some ways. Ah, okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so Roald Dahl hid the racism and that makes it fun. <laughs> <laughs> 
just remember, as long as you don't say it, you can get away, <laughs> get away with anything. Things. Oh God! No, no, no! You can't. Don't think no, bad things. No, no, no. Yeah, let's not. Let's not. John, do please, Roldal, please. Roll Dahl, please. Yes. That happens. Oh, no, Roldal was a terrible person. Has nobody heard this? He's, yeah. He's absolutely. I still love his books. I absolutely adore. Don't do it to me, Dara. Don't. It's don't. not me. It's Potter. It's me. Sorry. I would. Uh, I would still read. Um, was it Revolting Rhymes? Uh-huh. I, yeah. super, and the other one. And again, he had a great relationship with a with an illustrator, Quentin Blake, mm-hmm. who just yeah. gave it that iconic look, yes. that, that Roald Dahl book look, which and is that just... David Williams stole. <laughs> I know, yeah. He uses him as well. Well, he uses yeah. Tony Ross as well. But... Yeah, that does upset me a little bit because I, I so, it's so funny how sometimes you come to associate an illustrator with, with an author like... Like when I see books in a shop now with Quentin Blake illustrated, like you immediately know it's Quentin Blake. Yeah. Or when I was a child, when I was like a teenager, I used to, or well, a, you know, young uh, child slash teenager, I used to read a lot of uh, Jacqueline Wilson, who would always use Nick Sharrett. Mm. Um, so anytime I see those illustrations, I'm like, oh, it's one of those books. And then it's not. And I'm like, mm, who is this imposter? I know. <laughs> Stop I trying s- to be Rodal. <laughs> I suppose, though, like Quentin Blake, didn't die. He's still early yeah, he's early crust, <laughs> No, Quentin, it's penury for you. <laughs> the breadline for you, Live I'm afraid. Royalties, <laughs> like Smithers being buried with Mister Burns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it does the it does the the. The Quentin Blake illustrations do imply that Williams is the heir to Roald Dahl and he isn't his hoop. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> I've only realised that David Williams is the celebrity author we were talking about earlier on. Sorry, sort of. Like, there's several, but yeah, yeah, but well, yeah, <laughs> he's 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 used some really unhelpful ableist language. I mean, which it would have been which would have been bad enough twenty thirty years ago when you could say Asher back then. You know, anything went. Mm. Whereas, <laughs> but whereas now, I mean, it's you know, it's like you should think, do better. You just should do better. Like, yeah, I mean, he should do better. Well, mm. I think so. It's certainly you know, it's like we didn't my. When I went to friends' houses, one of the things I noticed my other my other friends had Enid Blyton books. We had no Enid Blyton in our house. There's obviously the dad put the foot down. Tans. Okay. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> I mean, no. There's, there, there, <laughs> no. There were other there were other English authors were 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 fine. Well, but this Enid Blyton had a very specific worldview. Yes. Uh, which was expressed, and the fact that the, the books were, were 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 advocating and celebrating, and you know, a particular worldview between the the Gollywog problem mm. and then the other issues in the Famous Five, and that, that kind of particular view of history, and yeah. which I read Secret Seven books. That was the only Enid Blyton stuff I read, and and yeah, the assorted stories. There was no Noddy in my house. I think you, largely because it was kind of even by the mid eighties. Mm. It's a bit like oh, no, we can't. Mm can't really jive with that like that's not cool you know mm-hmm. but I, I I don't know I mean if you're a children's author and, and you are a children's author so answer <laughs> me this if it, if it gets to the stage where somebody's saying you know maybe that entire concept that you're writing about is a little bit problematic you sort of have to go oh hang on a second I should rethink this whole yeah, thing oh absolutely and you take on board and, and you know that's the nice thing about working in children's books and working in books in general I'm mm-hmm. sure you've found the same Derek it's not just me do you know I may have come up with the written the story but like there's the illustrators the publishers there's the editors there's designers yeah. there's a lot of people it's a real team effort and I think at some point if there is something problematic people are going to go here that's not working like or that's you know that's not right or yeah. some you're, you're, or else it just won't get picked up <laughs> if it's, it's even a- slightly <laughs> there are actually loads of issues like in um, 
there's safety issues and stuff in books that you can't depict a child, say, in a dangerous situation that a ch- another child might mimic. Yes. So, for example, there's okay. like a page in one of my books where the child is making an invention. And in the first iteration of the illustration, she was teetering on a little kind of footstool ladder kind of thing as she was reaching to do something. And it was like, well, that's not safe, actually. And, and now she has a very safe in the final illustration. There's a very safe thing that she's standing on. So it's it, there's so many different things that you just wouldn't even think of there's, until everybody looks at it and goes, actually, that looks a bit dangerous. And there's an episode whatever. of Peppa Pig that doesn't get shown in Australia because there's an episode which has, oh, don't be afraid. It's only a spider. A spider's not going to hurt you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. That spider's going to fucking kill you. <laughs> Peppa, mate. <Yeah>. Peppa. <laughs> don't. Yes, <laughs> Mr. Skinny Legs. <laughs> yeah, so it's and there's a, there's a, there was a Volkswagen commercial years ago. It was absolutely brilliant. It was a hilarious one. It was about this little girl. Uh, it was going around saying bollocks, and everywhere she went, she was just saying bollocks, and she kept saying bollocks. And in one scene, she's reaching up to get a biscuit out of the biscuit jar, and it all falls down on. She goes bollocks, and the punchline is her dad drives a Volkswagen Golf. And he keeps forgetting that it's a diesel and he keeps putting petrol in oh. because it performs so well, it feels like a petrol car. And all she sees, she's in the car seat uh, in the back and uh, he puts petrol in and he goes, oh, bollocks. And <laughs> that's where she learned it. But it was pulled from uh, UK television, not because of the bad language, but because in the scene where she's reaching for the cookie jar, she's reaching over her head. Okay. And that shows a child doing something that's unsafe, so it wasn't allowed oh, to be wow. broadcast, there which is hilarious. Oh, I love that. And we're right back to children mimicking their parents. <laughs> and <laughs> the guilt associated. This is, and Saiji, so you, you wrote an article about this. You wrote, you wrote an article about a child using swear words. I did, yes. So, <laughs> and you know, she's the most, like, if there ever one escapes our lips at home, she is like the police now. Mm. So she went through a phase, though, of, of using the F word and, like, been really into it. I think she just loved the sound of it and the shape of it in her mouth. It's, she it's just, pretty great. <laughs> she it was is like, pretty great. She loved it and she was saying it loads, but it was just sort of not appropriate for what I think she was like three or four. It's just not a good look <laughs> for that age. So we were trying to encourage her. To not, because she had used it in in Nina, and the teacher was a bit like, oh. eh, "Would you have a word with her?" And I was like, "Oh God, the shame!" She was, <laughs> she was just trying to say fuck yeah, up. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so our approach was to to let her say it uh, more. So, uh, which seems counterproductive. I'm sure, Nina loved that. Yeah, but we were like the, the prohibition wasn't working. It was we all know it doesn't. So. <laughs> We kept saying, oh, don't say it. And it would just make her want to say it more. And she was getting really kind of frustrated. And that would just make her want to say it more. So we would let her say it. But she wasn't allowed to say it about anybody or to anybody. Um, so she would kind of go off into a corner and go. <laughs> <laughs> and then if she felt it coming, like she was getting really like, This upset. isn't the visual medium. I mean, you tell everyone. So I've covered her mouth. <laughs> Nobody can even lip read the fuck. <laughs> through the airwaves but uh, yeah so I'd let her get it out of her system and uh, then she'd come back all calm and be like okay I did it I've said it and then she kind of she got it it just stopped after a while and now like if we're listening to podcasts and stuff or list, you know anything because that's where you hear them all the bad language and, <laughs> well especially her dad listens to a lot of comedy American kind of comedians and stuff 
uh, on podcasts and there's a lot of language, let's mm. say, and she gives out to us all the time. She's like, you can't listen to that. Stop listening to that. That's terrible language. So she's actually like fully come around the other way. It's quite funny. But yeah, she's filthy now. Like, I think this will just like signify like how much I don't have children, but like I love teaching children swear words. <laughs> Do not leave me alone with your child because I will create a time bomb for it. Like, and hopefully it will go off like in Nina or like in the middle of a shopping centre. <laughs> so before we wrap up, um, we like to ask our guests what their favourite Irish word is. Oh God, I forgot about that. Um, yeah. So... <laughs> This again probably shows it's talking about Edward Gorey and stuff like that. I always, as a child, my favourite Irish word was luffa, which is a weird one, I know, mm-hmm. but I just loved the sound of it. Again, like my daughter yeah. with the F word, the, the shape of it in your mouth, luffa. I just, I always loved saying that. And I always felt like it didn't really match what it means, which mm-hmm. is rotten. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I've just always it's liked that really, word. It's really, really apt for like, you know, dirty. <laughs> Even more than Salach, like it's, oh, yeah. Yeah. it's definitely Salach, yeah. Salach Lufa, Lufa, I think. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a an unusual choice, maybe. It's a great choice. <laughs> we'll go with that. So, I, and before we finish up, we want to tell, remind remind our listeners what your books are called and where they can get them. Yeah. So, Be um, Exprilum and Biog Bidach available from directly from Fotafata.ie.com, maybe. Um, and from all good bookshops and libraries. And if people want to find out more about you and the work you're doing outside of your children's books, uh, so I'm on Twitter at Where Wishes. Thanks very much for joining us today, Sive. So until the next time, it's a slant from me. It's a slant from me. One more time. Sorry. Sorry. You, you go Sorry. first, Scourging. Okay. Do you want to go first? It's a slant from me. It's a slant from me. <laughs> okay, it's Dara, Derek, Pader, Peter, Dara Dean, Sive. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so, okay, got it. Until the next time, it's Slon from me. Slon Wemsha. Slon from me. And a Slon from me. Catch you next time. So, Sive, you have better news for us. I do. Very exciting news. So, um,. I'm going to be the next writer in residence in DLR Lexicon. Oh. Which is this huge, amazing library in Dunleary. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited. I start like next week. <laughs> this is a fantastic, this is a fantastic opportunity. Um, was, was Sarah Griffin there before? Yeah, she's just coming up to the end of her tenure. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarah Webb, I think, was before her. And it's absolutely huge. Um, I don't they I don't think they've had an Irish language author before, so that's really nice and it's just a massive endorsement if you know what I mean like and it's three men in a row I know yeah yeah go on <laughs> <laughs> that's it exactly so yeah wonderful so Milko Gorgeous and I'm sure it's going to be a wonderful year thank you very much for listening to today's episode Motherfucker comes out every Friday on the Headstuff Podcast Network if you can't wait that long for your next podcast fix there are some other shows coming out on Headstuff which you might enjoy for example you might like What and Politics if you want to contact the show, you can email us at motherfucklore at headstuff.org or you can hit us up at our various Twitter handles. We're not hard to find. There's the Irish Four and there's Motherfucklore both on Twitter. Thank you very much to Kirsten Shield for doing the art. Thank you to Brian for producing and thank you to the backroom team at Headstuff for all the work they do. Until the next time, Slunga Fall. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Thanks.
Watch out. Hey, Sarah.